0: You're listening to the Prayer Storm podcast. We pray that this teaching blesses you, challenges you, and equips you, leaving you ignited for all that God has for you. Don't forget to check out James Ladderin's book, Life on Fire, which is out now. You can find this and more at prayerstorm.org, or you can click the link in the description below. It's great to be with you. It's great to be here. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I bring you greetings from Manchester, where God lives. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's always an honor, always such a privilege to share the word of the Lord with you. Uh, we're going to be looking at a few scriptures uh, today. Uh, so I'm going to be making a few references across the Bible. So if you got your Bibles, just get them ready. You know, we're going to be reading a few uh, portions of scripture. But let's just pray before we go into the word uh, this morning. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. Uh, thank you for what you're doing uh, across this nation, across the nations of the world, And Father, we're declaring to you this morning uh, in Cleveland, Tennessee, that we want to be part of your end time army. We want to be recruited into this army that you're raising up and we want to be equipped to tear down strongholds, to destroy the altars of wickedness. Father, to destroy the associations of of evil that have been formed over decades and centuries. Father, we want to be that generation that ushers in another great awakening. So, Father, we ask that you equip us today. You would expose anything holding us back from being that, and you'll cause us to leave this place with a fresh fire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Luke 1, 13. Say so you want to turn to Luke 1, 13. We're going to start there. Uh, but before we read that, I want to start by asking you a question. By what spirit are you operating? You know, these days you've got like different operating systems. You've got the Apple, you've got the Android. And uh, you, know, you can't run the Android operating system on an Apple device, kind of. You know. And so operating systems are really important because they're able to host certain programs and softwares and all these things. I don't understand how it all works. But I know operating uh, systems are very important. Um, In a similar way, it's very important what spirit you're operating by. Because there are different spirits you can operate by as a Christian. You could be even praying in tongues. You could be a tongue-talking believer. uh, You could be one who worships. But yet, you could be operating by the spirit of the age. The fact that you said you're worthy of it all and you sang that to God doesn't mean you, by default, operate by His Spirit. So, the question is, by what Spirit are you operating? You could be singing songs to God and operating under the spirit of perversion. And, you see, the fact that you're singing those songs doesn't mean you don't love God. It just means that Spirit exercises government over you. And whatever that Spirit wants, you're able to express Through your actions. By what spirit are you operating? You could be worshipping your fact. You could be preaching. And yet you're operating by a spirit of selfish ambition. And the things you're doing look good to everyone out there. But when heaven looks, heaven can see you're operating from a different place. By what spirit are you operating? You know, Jesus could have turned the stone to bread. And that would have been a really incredible miracle that we would all celebrate today. In fact, I often say, if you were there when Jesus was tempted by Satan, and let's just imagine you didn't see Satan tempting Jesus, but you saw Jesus turn that stone to bread, you would probably get out your phone, record it, put it online, go, wow, incredible man of God. Turning stone to bread. Wouldn't that be an incredible miracle? In fact, I often say I believe that will be the start of the Stone to Bread Ministries International. (laughs) Because now we're going to build a ministry around that ability, that supernatural, to do something that was actually done out of dysfunction in identity. So the question was not, could Jesus do it? Because the only reason why it was a temptation was because he could have done it. Do you know why this blows my mind? That temptation is proof that the power of God can flow in in a direction contrary to the will of God. Did you hear what I just said? That temptation is proof that the power of God can flow in a direction contrary to the will of God. You don't believe me? Ask Moses. Right. Yeah, yeah. Did God tell him to strike the rock? God told him to speak and he struck the rock. Guess what? And the miracle still happened. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the power of God sometimes can flow in a direction contrary to the will of God. So it's not always just the power of God by which we use to determine if God is doing something. If God is in a place, or if God is pleased. It's the nature of god because you can actually move in the power of god and have his nature because then in the disciples want to call down fire from heaven and jesus did not say they couldn't do it he says you don't know what spirit you're of you don't know what spirit you're operating by so you can operate under a wrong spirit and it can seem like things are happening. And this is where we get easily deceived as believers. Even as ministers, we think because things look good on a platform or because the ministry is growing, because we have so many subscribers, because we have so many invitations, we look at those metrics and use it to judge how well we are doing. However, we are often, we are often deceived. It's like we're believing our own reports and we are intoxicated by our own successes, in quotes. Whereas heaven is looking at us, realizing that we're on the path of deception. Many things many Christians pray for today, the devil can give them. And they wouldn't even know where it came from. They will still call it breakthrough, even though it came from the devil. Because the devil can give you money. The devil can give you promotions. The devil can give your husband. Hello? The devil can give your wife. But when your spirit is not aligned with his government, you end up in a place where you can do things that look good on the outside, but you're under the wrong government. And so the enemy can manipulate you. The enemy can express himself through you. You become a double agent. One moment, you're worshiping God with your mouth. The next moment the devil is using to accomplish his his agendas. God is wanting to shift our nature in the inside. And when you begin to come under the government of God, you begin to operate by his spirit. And when you begin to operate by his spirit, by the way, we're going to come to the scriptures in a few moments. (laughs) And I've lost track of time, so I can't see any clock anyway. So I'm I'm sorry, Miss Karen. (laughs) Just flow, Miss Cameron says flow. That's a favorite word, flow. So I'm gonna flow. Are you okay for a flow? When we come under the government of God, we begin to be influenced by his dictates, his commands. Not just seeing him as just one that just makes us feel good. He's not just our savior, he becomes our Lord. He wants to rule and reign over your life. In other words, he has an opinion about every area of your life, how you spend money, your sexuality, the things you watch, the friends you have, the relationships you have. He has an opinion about every area. And when you come under his government, what what ends up happening, you start to operate under that authority authority. And because you're under authority, you're able to walk in great dimensions of his authority to extend his kingdom in the earth. So you know the famous prayer we pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can't really pray that prayer effectively if his will is not being done in you. Why, why, why do you think you can ask, his will to, ask him to release his will out there if it's not being done in here? So the government starts here. By what spirit are you operating? And before we go into this scripture, one other thing I want to lay a foundation with: when you come under the government of God, you start to operate in His name. Everyone say in His name. His name. So in Jeremiah 20, he's being frustrated because of the persecution coming against him, and he made a statement, and he says, um, "Let me get the exact reference." Jeremiah 29. No, he says, "Then." It says, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Now, the first part of that says, I will not make mention of him, one, two, and I will not speak in his name. When you speak in his name, you come, it means you're speaking in his stead. You're under his government. So, you know, oftentimes when we pray and we say, in the name of Jesus, you're coming in that place and speaking as though Jesus is the one speaking it. But the problem is, listen to what Jeremiah says, I will not make mention of him nor speak in his name. Two different things. Some people are making mention of his name but I'm not speaking in his name. Are you, are you with me? So you can say the name of Jesus, but nothing happens. It's not that the name of Jesus isn't powerful. It's just because you're making mention of it. But you're not in his name. Okay. Philippians, I believe, uh, 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 Philippians, somewhere around there, it says about, you know, at the name of Jesus. You all know that scripture? At the name of Jesus, what? Every name was about. You know, for years, I thought that scripture actually read at the mention of the name of Jesus. Read that scripture again. In fact, in case you think I'm making it up, Philippians 2, nine. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. It didn't say at the mention of the name. It says at the name. In other words, the name of the Lord is on location in the spirit. That's why scripture says the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower. When you step into the name, you step into his government. And when you're under his government, you carry his authority. And you carry his spirit, his nature, his intentions. So you can have people mentioning the name and nothing is happening. But you could have people in the name and they may not be mentioning the name and things are happening. Are you tracking with me? So God is wanting us to step into a place where we're not just mentioning his name and singing songs, but we come under his government. And for that to happen, there needs to be a lot of things shifting in us. Luke 1.13. but the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be amazed, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. and he will, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He would also go before him, him there refers to Jesus. He would also go before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Powerful declarations. About the life of John. John was called to walk in the spirit of Elijah. Everyone say the spirit of Elijah. When we're told about the spirit of Elijah, I want you to understand that the spirit of Elijah is actually the Holy Spirit. Elijah was able to step into a dimension in God, and that dimension shaped him, and he perfectly modeled that dimension, so much that when he was taken to heaven, that dimension in God was named after him. Are you tracking with me? So John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, but the dimension of the Holy Spirit John was going to manifest was going to be similar to that which Elijah manifested. So John never met Elijah, but he He dressed like Elijah. His fashion was (laughs) spirit-inspired. Because a spirit being was operating him. Are you tracking with me? So he was able to dress a certain way because his inspiration came from the spirit realm. Now, I didn't plan to go here, but do you know fashion can have spirit inspiration? And you look at fashion in our generation right now, and what it's often invoking is lust and perversion. Do you not think there's a spirit that's choosing to influence the way people dress so that there will be an increase of perversion? I'm, I'm just saying, some things I think about sometimes. John the Baptist's fashion was inspired by a spirit was Holy Spirit. So he was operated by Holy Spirit. His diet was inspired by a spirit. He didn't just eat whatever he wanted. He didn't just do what everyone's everyone's having Burger King, everyone's having KFC, everyones, having, no, no, no. He wanted to eat locusts and locust and locust and wild honey. And he might not have been able to explain why he wanted to do that, but he was compelled to, because he was functioning under the government of a spirit. When you function under the government of a spirit, it starts to influence your desires. It influences your preferences. It influences the way you spend your time. Watch the patterns in your life. Watch the way you spend your time and energy and money. Maybe with that, we can trace what spirit is operating you. Because John was carrying the spirit of Elijah. In essence, it's the Holy Spirit, but he's capturing, John is capturing something of what Elijah touched in his generation. And why did John have to be so crazy in eating logos and wild honey and camel's hair? I I don't even know if John might have been able to explain everything. But as we look back in hindsight, we can tell John had to be Radical. There was no other way for an individual to prepare the way for the greatest move of God the world had ever seen up until that point. And if he was called to be the one to prepare that way, the only requirement or the main requirement heaven was going to put on him was he was going to be radical in devotion. So the way he lived, are you with me are you here yes. the way he lived had to be in total opposition to the culture John was a countercultural resistance to the moral decline of his day he captured something in heaven with his lifestyle so everything about how he lived was opposing the culture that was because he was called to prepare the way for something great He couldn't look like the culture if he was called to change it. Hello, America. You can't talk like the world, watch what the world watches, do what the world does, and think you can change the world. The people of God who become of the world while in the world lose their authority to change the world. John had to be different to the system in order for God to send him into the system to bring a change to it. A boat always remains on water as long as the water doesn't get in. For many believers, the water has been getting in. And yesterday we started off, you know, uh, Jacob gave us like the coordinates for for these next few days we have together. And it's about repentance and a sacred assembly. The famous scripture we often quote, uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14 when it comes to prayer and intercession. It says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. Listen to this part now and turn from their own wicked ways the scripture is not addressed to the world it's addressed to us God's people turning from our own wicked ways then God says then I will hear so there's actually a condition to his hearing he's saying would you turn from your wicked ways would you fast would you humble yourself would you pray would you seek my face not my hands seek my face be humble be contrite, and that would qualify some things that I'm about to do but many of us just think we can look like the world and still have the impact that God is wanting us to have John had to be called out in order to be sent back in he was in the desert he was radical And he was doing all these things to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, think about this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in flesh. He comes on the scene. Jesus was going to live on earth and lived on earth for 33 and a half years. If you knew you had 33 and a half years to live on earth, how would you spend it? I guarantee you most of us, including myself, would probably not spend it the way Jesus did for 30 years he was locked up in the secret being prepared for three and a half years 30 years of preparation three and a half years of execution now it's been 2,000 years plus of intercession so a bulk of his time on earth was spent being prepared for his day of manifestation. We see the same with John. John, Luke 1.18, the Bible says, he was in the desert. He grew strong in spirit until the day of his manifestation. God was preparing John with a life that was intense. Now, why am I saying these things? Because you need to understand the relevance of John to us right now. John carried the spirit of Elijah. Everyone say the spirit of Elijah. And John was called to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus. And think about this. When Jesus arrived on planet Earth and was going to start his ministry about 30 years of age, Jesus chose to connect with the craziest guy for God at that moment in his generation. Oh, let me just make this announcement. John the Baptist was not a balanced guy. John the Baptist was not trying to be politically correct. John the Baptist was not trying to impress anyone. He was radical in his devotion to God. And when Jesus came on the scene, he chose to connect with the most radical person that was living at the time. That tells me he likes radical devotion. He doesn't want half hearted worship, all this stuff. No, he wants radical abandonment. That is what he identified with. He identified with John. John prepared the way. Jesus came. John baptized Jesus. And that was almost like the, the, the announcement of his ministry to the earth. Now, later on, we look at Matthew 17. Let's look at this Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Um, I'm just going to summarize it really, but verse 11 is where I'm going. So, just the backstory to this the disciples have been on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus had transfigured while he was praying before them. And then Elijah and Moses show up, and Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are having these conversations while the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are beholding and are just blown away by what they're saying. And so after this incredible experience, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone the experience. And so the disciples are kind of confused because they're thinking, we just saw Elijah. And because they understand the Torah, they understand, you know, the teachings, they ask him a question. And the question is this, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered them, Indeed, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. Pause. So Jesus is saying to them, The scribes are right. That's a rare kind of time Jesus is actually validating the teaching. It's like, They're right. Elijah is coming and will restore all things. So in here, we see Jesus making a declaration that Elijah will come. Everyone say, "Elijah Elijah will come. That is a prophecy. That is a prophecy. Now, the different ways that prophecy can be fulfilled, okay, but we'll come to that in a moment. So let me just read on. It says, Elijah will come first and will restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah has already come, and they did not know him but did to him whatever they wished. So in there, he was making reference to John the Baptist because later on we see, he says, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So here we see, Jesus releasing a prophetic word that Elijah is coming. Everyone say Elijah is coming. coming. If Elijah is coming, we need to kind of work out what that means because we know Elijah didn't die. Okay? Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind into heaven, which is kind of pretty epic. (laughs) So Elijah didn't die. He's taken up by a whirlwind into heaven and Jesus is now saying, Elijah is coming. So we could look at that two ways. One, the person of Elijah is coming. And I do believe there's a dimension of that because some people make reference to the book of Revelations and the two witnesses that one of them was performing signs that did look like Elijah. Maybe that's right. I don't fully know. Now, the person of Elijah, I believe, is coming. However, another dimension to the fulfillment of the prophetic word Jesus is saying right here is, not just the person Elijah, because the context is, is making reference to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not the person Elijah. John the Baptist carried the spirit of Elijah. So John was called to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus with the spirit of Elijah. So Jesus is actually saying, The spirit of Elijah is going to come again on another generation. Listen. And that generation are called to prepare the way for my second coming. For the first coming, Elijah had to prepare the way. For the second coming, guess what? Elijah has to prepare the way. So the spirit of Elijah, like it rested on John, is going to rest upon a generation. So now we need to begin to ask ourselves questions like, well, what would that look like? It doesn't mean you need to go into the desert and eat locusts and wild honey and you, know, and, you know, dress weird. That's not what it means. It means the nature, the spirit. You remember I said, well, by what spirit are you operating? That spirit starts to influence your appetites. If you're choosing to align with the release of the spirit of Elijah, and I believe we are part of this generation that will carry that spirit, then the manifestation today is going to be radical abandonment to God. The manifestation today is going to look like holiness that hurts the eyes. The manifestation today is going to look like a praying army. I believe it's Luke 11.1. The disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples to pray. Their reference point was, John was such a man of prayer, his disciples knew how to do it. Jesus, teach us how John did it. Uh, Am I making sense? Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. So there are certain characteristics that we need to examine in the life of John and how he modeled the spirit of Elijah that is going to be relevant for us today. If truly we are going to carry that same spirit... To prepare the way for the second coming of Jesus. Are you with me? Are you with me? I know there's a lot we're going through here. But we're going somewhere. Someone say we're we're going somewhere. So if Jesus said, Elijah is coming. Do you know what that also means? Jezebel is coming. You will not have Elijah come without Jezebel come. Now, remember how I described Elijah and I said, Elijah modeled a dimension in God so well that when he left, that dimension was named after him. Jezebel modeled a dimension in the demonic so well that when she died, that dimension in the demonic was named after her. And every time Elijah comes, here comes Jezebel. How do you think John died? Jezebel. We're not into details, but this uh, lady performed this dance. Uh, I think it was Herod. She did this dance for Herod. And to show you how this dance was not just a normal dance, after she performed the dance, his mind was filled with, like he was just confused. Something had taken over his mind. He, he said to her, ask me anything Up to half of my kingdom. How can a dance lead you to say that? When people are under spirit influence, they say stupid things. (laughs) Are you hearing me? How can a dance lead you to say, just one dance. Ask anything up to half of my kingdom. He's intoxicated by a spirit. And because the lady doing the dance was also functioning under that spirit, she went to her mother, and her mother says, You know all I want? I want the head of John the Baptist. That is Jezebel. Because Jezebel is trying to kill Elijah all the time. And you know the sad thing, Elijah failed. And I want to show you something I believe God wants to bring freedom to in many people here today. Even in the story of how Elijah failed. It amazes me that God used Elijah to do such a crazy act, sign, a wonder. He calls down fire. I mean, this guy, when was the last time you saw literal fire fall from heaven when someone prayed? This, this is like a legend. I mean, he has an incredible walk with God. This is a powerful man of God. He got translated by the Spirit. Like he, People did not know where Elijah was because oftentimes he would just be translated to places. Physically translated. This man stepped into a dimension of the Spirit that was rare in his day. So this is not some weak person. This is a powerful man of God. He kills 450 prophets of Baal. After he calls down fire from heaven, okay? And then he he goes to pray on the mountain, prays and travails and groans. And then there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And then the rain comes. He, by this time, told Ahab, who was the king of Israel, married to Jezebel, he told Ahab to go ahead of him. So Ahab had gone ahead of him on his chariots. Think of it this way. Ahab had got into his Bentley Ahab has gone into his luxurious kind of whatever it is, the equivalent today. He'd got into that and he was driving and he was going quite fast. But then he says this in 1 Kings 18. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. This is crazy. The hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he outran Ahab i mean, I realize that's supernatural. So, you know, even I've preached on that, the hand of the Lord and the, the, the spirit to overtake. But that's the way we're going right now. I want to ask you, why would the hand of the Lord come upon Elijah so strong? What would be the purpose? Just for him to show off his speed? No. Because when the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, in fact, let me go back to that verse, uh, 2 Kings 18, 46. outran Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and caused them to go with speed to Jezebel's gate. Because Jezreel, the, the, the entrance of Jezreel is the gateway to Jezebel's domain. But something strange happens here. It says, Move to the next verse, which is 1 Kings 19:1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And also how he had executed all the prophets by the sword. And then Jezebel said this. So let the gods do to me and more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow this time. By the way, this, is, this, this was the word that Eli- uh, uh, Jezebel sent to Elijah by the hand of a messenger. In fact, let me just pause there before I read Elijah's response. The fact that Jezebel sent this message to Elijah tells me she knew where he was. If she knew where he was, why didn't she just go and kill him? You know why? Because she couldn't kill him. What she couldn't do to him, she wanted him to do to himself. All she could do was release threats, demonically empowered threats. We know that she was involved in witchcraft, so her declarations were not empty, they were demon, they were demonically empowered. So she sent these things to uh, these words to Elijah, and what I don't understand is how is it that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he just gets to Jezebel's gates and just stays there? The hand of the Lord must have come upon him to not just get to the gate, but to go in and slay her. But he just stayed there. Maybe he was tired. Maybe because of all the exploits he'd done for God, he just thought, you know, let me just have a break. It's been an amazing day. I don't know what it was, but he stepped into a moment of weakness. Because Jezebel took advantage of that moment and sent him threats. And this is what the scripture says. And when Elijah verse 3 1 Kings 19:3 when Elijah saw that everyone say saw that. saw that so Elijah was sent messages or message rather saying I'm going to kill you basically and the bible tells us when Elijah saw that the the messenger did not deliver a picture to Elijah the messenger delivered words to Elijah But the words the messenger delivered fashioned an image, a picture, a vision that Elijah saw that got him. And this is where you need to understand how the spirit of Jezebel is working in our culture today. The spirit of Jezebel is fighting to possess our gates. She tried with words to Elijah. But what we see is Elijah saw something with his eyes. So she wanted to get him through his ear gate, but now she's obviously got hold of his eye gate. Whatever he saw took him into the depths of depression. Many of you here today are under that spirit of depression. A spirit of oppression. And I want to say to you, what you're dealing with is not just chemical imbalance in your brain. Now, I need to balance what I'm saying here. I do believe in therapy. I do believe in counselors. But in my experience with Jezebel and the spirit of Jezebel, it's not been counseling. It's not been therapy that's helped me. Because I realize you can't counsel demons. You cast them out. You don't need your share with demons. I know what it's like to be under that yoke of depression, heaviness, even after a powerful service. Elijah, hello. After a powerful exploit for God and the weight of heaviness comes, it's a vulnerable moment that the enemy wants to take advantage of. So here you have Elijah in a weak moment. Jezebel comes in with depression. As I was praying over this service, I believe there is a pastor here today who's considering—maybe even watching online—but I feel—I feel like they were in this room. Who's considering giving up on ministry altogether? And you're just having all these mental battles going on and you're like, you're just fed up. You're like, God, I am done. I'm disappointed. I'm done. This is not what you spoke to me about. I want to say to you before you give in, realize that there's an enemy that wants to infiltrate your mind and bind you before you bind him. Intimidations, deceptions, irrational thoughts, emotions that you can't explain. Just overwhelming you. Can I just announce to you, every thought in your head is not your thoughts. Did did you hear me? The fact that you're thinking a thought does not mean the thought originated from you. But the devil is so clever, he gives you thoughts in the first person. I'm stupid. I'm a pervert. I'm an idiot. I'm th- so, is the demon speaking to you, but in the first person? And so, you own the thoughts, then you give him authority. You don't fight thoughts with thoughts, you fight thoughts with words. The spirit of depression is so high in our culture right now. Anxiety, we call it mental illness. Now, again, let me clarify: I am not saying some people don't need counseling. I am not saying they're not parts of this that might be a chemical imbalance, but in my experience, there are a lot of demonic things we've just put medical labels on, and we need to get back into the mode of casting demons out, taking thoughts captive. You know, back in those days uh, when these spirit of depression would come i would go to people and ask them to pray for me and they'll pray for me and there'll be a breakthrough and after a while i realized god stopped me from going to them because whenever i wanted them to pray they were not available they were not free they were not around and i realized he made that happen for a reason because He wanted me to learn how to fight myself there's some prayers god answers when you're a baby christian that he stops answering when you grow in him to a certain level because he's now expecting you to learn how to fight you learn how to pray by praying so i had to learn how to say father in the name of jesus i take authority over the atmosphere of this house right now whatever this is i don't know but i come against you in the name of jesus i declare this depression oppression anxiety is replaced by the fire of god I lay my hands on myself right now darkness you leave fear you leave depression you leave anxiety you live now in Jesus name I will not be downcast I am a warrior I arise I arise in fire I arise in boldness I declare the words of my mouth in prayer right now I like intercontinental ballistic missiles and they begin to hit the target father as I pray let fire come to me let fire come through me no enemy will be able. Able to stay in my vicinity this room is filled with fire my mind is filled with fire my body fire my bedroom fire everything in me the presence of God covers me right now I will not be depressed the devil is a liar I arise in boldness I arise in confidence I will fulfill my purpose I am not stupid I am not an idiot I am anointed I am called I am chosen therefore Satan Take your hands off my mind. Take your hands off my body. Take your hands off my life. In the name of Jesus. You better learn how to speak to the devil. That depression. How I knew it was the devil was. When I started to pray. See as I started to pray. Everything in me did not want to pray. Anyone knows what I'm talking about here? You know what you should do, which is prayer, but everything in you is opposing it. That is the very reason why you should do it. As I start to pray, all of a sudden the atmosphere shifts. All of a sudden I can't really make sense of why I was feeling depressed a few moments before. Because now I feel completely normal in myself. And then I knew I'm dealing with a spirit. I better learn how to fight. But I see many Christians just letting the enemy do whatever he wants to do with them. And they don't cast down imaginations. And you see, that scripture in Corinthians says, casting down. It's not just something you do once and you're done. You keep casting. You keep keep resisting it. Whatever you need to do to get your mind connected with the reality of God's realm, do it. Worship, praying in tongues, getting around other believers. Get yourself into your fighting mode. Elijah battled with depression. And after this, his assignment was terminated. Because he gave room to Jezebel, God terminated his assignment. And God said, Elijah, thank you for what you've done for me. But now I'm moving on to someone else. Think about it. Why did God lead him to the gate of Jezreel? If not to destroy Jezebel. But because he didn't do it then, he missed his moment. And then God says, go and anoint these people. Elisha. And then, you know, Jehu. And all these people. God called three names to anoint. Who are going to carry on the assignment. And so... We fast forward now. And before I read this passage, I want to share a a, a dream. I remember some years ago praying and seeking God, asking him, Lord, what is my generation up against? What are we dealing with? What's going on with us? What are you doing and what is the enemy doing? And I had a dream. That's the time I'm going to just summarize it. In the dream, there was this wall behind me and there was a head of Medusa, uh, it was on the wall, to be honest, now if you don't know me, my background is my parents, uh, uh, my dad is from Nigeria, my mom is from Ghana, I was born in Liberia, I live in England, my wife is from Manchester. So I moved to the UK when I was 17. And so I didn't grow up with Greek mythology, it wasn't something that I had in my consciousness when I had this dream. But in the dream, I instinctively knew not to look at the head of Medusa. And if you don't know what the head of Medusa is, the head of a female, that, you know, the hairs are all snakes. In the dream, I had a very strong desire to cut the head off the wall. And so I was moving backwards. So, in the dream, I was in two states. I was in my body, but out of my body. I was observing the situation while I was in my body. You know how weird dreams can be sometimes, right? So, I was observing the situation, but I was also in my body. I was trying to cut the head off this Medusa uh, thing. And the more I moved back, the more I felt its power, its pressure on me. The sad reality for me was I didn't have a sword, but somehow I was still determined to cut the head off. Well, the dream carried on with this struggle And I woke up with this struggle of not being able to cut the head of this Medusa. Now, I know enough about dreams for me to know the fact that I didn't win that victory in the dream bothered me. In fact, when I was praying about this service, I believe there are people here today that God wants to deliver you from perverse dreams. You know, your dream world should be a theater where God can come and release revelations to you. So, if you're having perversion in your dreams, in your in your dreams, sexual encounters in your dreams, if you're having demonic oppression in your dreams, it should point to you that something is wrong. Because Songs of Solomon says, um, "Even though I sleep, my heart is awake." So, your spirit never sleeps. Your body could sleep, but your spirit never sleeps. So, if while you're awake, you invest in building your spirit, when you sleep, your spirit is fighting for you. If your spirit is strong because of your investment in your spirit, when you sleep, when demonic attacks come in your sleep, your spirit is strong to resist. So, if you're the one being oppressed in your dreams, something is wrong. In fact... When you're weak spiritually, oftentimes you can see it in your dreams and how the enemy oppresses you easily. But the more you build your spiritual stamina in the Word, in prayer, in fasting, spending time in the presence of God, the more you're going to find your stamina being built. And so you're going to start resisting the enemy. So when I woke up from this dream, I knew something was wrong because I didn't have the victory in the dream. So I went into prayer. We had a conference that day. I shared the dream. One of the other speakers came up and they said this. I said, we all need to repent of the spirit of pornography. Now, the meeting was not a case of if you're in pornography, come and come to the altar and repent. It wasn't that. We all need to repent. And so, even though I wasn't engaged in pornography, I was like, Lord. Every inward toleration of Jezebel. Oh, by the way, I didn't make this point clear. Jezebel is the spirit behind immorality, the spirit behind uh, pornography, the spirit behind sexual perversion, sexual confusion, gender confusion. The spirit behind that is Jezebel. Isn't it crazy that today we've, we struggle to define what a woman is? I mean, we didn't have that problem 15 years ago. Now, to say what is a woman is like you—you you just throw a bomb in the place, explosion. No one wants to answer the question. Anyone? Anyone with me here? Yes. Is that just in the UK, or is that anyone with me here? Yes. <laughs> because there is a spirit increasing in rage against the, those who are called to carry the spirit of Elijah. So, it's that Jezebelic influence that's infiltrated the whole system, the whole culture, the media, the entertainment, the movies, TikTok. It's Jezebel influence. I'm not saying every single thing on this, Jezebel, but it's influenced the whole system. So, You you can go on these things just to catch up with a friend and send a message to a friend. And without you wanting to be flashed with images, it's coming in your face. Because Jezebel wants to capture your eye gate. Remember what I said? Elijah lost the battle at the gate. He got to Jezebel's gate and then Jezebel possessed his gates. So Elijah lost the battle at the gates and Jezebel is all about possessing the gates. So social media, the platforms, the movies, the enemies, it's inf- almost, inf- uh, what's the word? It's releasing so much venom, so much, uh, it's like, it's just increasing the intensity of the perversion. Yeah. And so I'm concerned for your generation, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. Because the other day, I just, I just thought, let me just get on, t- I'm not even on TikTok that much. I thought, let me just go on. And the image, I'm flashing, I'm thinking, if this is what I'm seeing without even wanting to see this, what, what about all the people that are on this all the time? <laughs> and many of them are just, it's like you become ins- desensitized. Because that spirit is now reprogramming your brain. So what is wrong, you've accepted as right. And what is right, you've con- you're been conditioned to challenge. It's the spirit of the age. I'm telling you, it's alive and well right here in this culture. The Jezebelic influence. So strong. So Elijah failed. And God told Elijah to anoint other people. And then the other person was Jehu. He was called to destroy Elijah. Because this is a long message. By the way, I wrote a book around this theme. I don't have time to break it all down. You can look it up at some point if you'd like to. I want us to go to 2 Kings 9. And this is where we're going to wrap up as we look at the strategy for destroying the spirit of Jezebel. The first manifestation we've just looked at is depression, anxiety, and perversion. Just give me a second. Yes, there we go. The first manifestation or one of the manifestations we just look at is depression, anxiety, perversion. Uh, yeah, d- depression and anxiety. But another manifestation of the spirit, which I've just been making reference to, is not just depression, but perversion. Everyone say perversion. And sexual immoralities. Now, I remember where I was just then. The story about this conference. We all started to repent about this spirit of Jezebel. Well, everyone was confessing and repenting their sins. Remember in my dream, the the head was on the wall. And I came out of the dream frustrated that I didn't get to cut it off. Well, in the meeting, we went into repentance. And after the repentance and all that, after the conference, I went home that day, the same day. Now, we've got something called Apple TV. I turned on Apple TV as I got home from a conference where we'd just been repenting, all of us, as I turned on the TV, do you know what is on my TV screen? The head of Medusa that I saw in my dream. It is on my TV screen. However, this time around, the head is cut off. And the guy holding the head has got his sword in his hand. And my wife pointed at me like, James, look at what's on the screen. I'm like, oh my goodness. This is a sign. This is, the Lord was showing us that what was going to break the influence of this spirit was repentance. Yeah. So, I wrap up now. 2 Kings 9. Jehu was one of those that was anointed to destroy this spirit. Again, the... Other manifestation that's so prevalent in our culture of Jezebel is sexual immoralities. It's increasing in intensity. It's increasing in in its venom and, what's the word? Rage. As in, you look at things that you think should be innocent and it has hints of it in it. Where the enemy is raging, wanting to capture a generation. He's wanting to capture your mind. He's wanting to get through the eye gate. He's wanting to get through the ear gate. Now, I remember, just to give you just a bit of an insight into so the raging nature of this spirit of perversion. Miss Karen, not too long ago, a few months ago, I was preaching along these lines, this very message at a conference in the UK. About 2,000 young people at this conference preaching against this spirit of perversion. Lots of young people getting delivered of the spirit, which is going to happen here today, by the way. I finished, I finished preaching, get in the car with my wife. It's our anniversary. We go out somewhere to a hotel, have a nice time away. Get in the room. We check into the room. I go back to the car to get my stuff from the car uh, to come to the hotel room. I'm in the lift. Okay, hit whatever floor was on, you know, so... Get in the lift, push the button. The lift is going up. The lift gets to my floor, Miss Karen. My door opens. Bear in mind, I've just been preaching against the spirit of Jezebel. As, my, as the lift door opens, standing right in front of me, not vision, is a naked woman. Dancing. I am in shock, like, what's going on here? This is odd. So, so I, 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 just, I just walk to my room. I'm like, Rebecca, you won't guess what I've just seen. And as I'm processing this, I'm realizing the enemy is raging so much. Against this message, it's like, James, you better shut up. Because I know you are raging against me, but I am going to do all I can to get into your eyes too. If it's not working on your computers, on Instagram, and not working on Facebook, I'm going to present you a live one right in front of you. Listen, it's a fight to stand in purity. Do you know how I survived that? One word fire. That's what Jesus said to the church that was struggling with Jezebel. He gave them a revelation of his eyes of fire. When the fire of God begins to burn in you, everything else begins to burn away. Now, just check out this illustration. Fire at the right temperature will melt anything. So you see this right here? Fire would melt it. Now, a hundred degrees centigrade fire, you know, water evaporates. But this would not evaporate, this will not melt, but I don't know what temperature this is gonna melt at, but if I keep increasing it from 100, maybe 300, maybe 500, at some point, this is gonna melt. So if you're dealing with perversion, and you feel like you've prayed it's not happening, you need to turn up the heat of your fire. Are you hearing me? Because when the fire increases in temperature, everything around would by default begin to melt away. If it's not melting, turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. Turn up the heat. Give yourself. Because his fire is the answer. His fire is the answer. So that's how I get out. In fact, that's how I stay pure. By fire. There's no other way. If you want to stay pure for God in this generation, there is no shortcut. You have to catch fire. And you have to not just catch the fire, stay in the fire. I don't know how long I've been preaching, but I know time is gone. <laughs> you know, it's so good preaching in America. You guys are so encouraging. I love all my UK friends, but you know, sometimes it's coward out there. <laughs> Come on. Man. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, I don't want to take a lot of your time. I know there's lots going on. Let's go into how Jezebel was destroyed. Because in here is where we see the roadmap to deliverance for a generation. How God wants to bring freedom to you and use you to bring freedom to others. 2 Kings 9. 2 Kings 9.20, so it says, the watchman reported saying, he went up to them, and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. And I just want to point out that word, he drives furiously, connected to what I just said about fire. That whole idea about fire is what is being said right there. Jehu has been anointed, and he's on his way to destroy Jezebel. And the only language Jezebel understands is this right here. Driving furiously with holy fire. That's the same spirit that you have to capture. It's Matthew 11. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and only the violent take it by force. That is what Jehu was carrying right here. So Jehu starts to ride with this anointing uh, to go and destroy Jezebel. Now look at this. 2 Kings 9.30. Noun... Jehu had come to Jezreel. Now, when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she, and so she put paint on her eyes, adorned her head, and looked through a window. Just pause there. There's a lot in here. And we don't have time. But just think about this. Jehu got to the very place Elijah got to. So... When Elijah got to this place, the, his gates were possessed. Jezebel fought Elijah at the gate and possessed his gate. Jehu gets to the same place where Elijah failed. And so Jezebel starts to pull makeup on. Now, if you calculate and I haven't done this calculation accurately, but it doesn't make any sense that Jezebel is putting makeup on to look good for Jehu. Because she's probably old enough to be his mother or grandmother. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense in the natural. So what she was doing here was not natural. It was supernatural. It was a seduction she wanted to project to Jehu. So Jehu got there. And when as soon as she knew Jehu was at the gate, she prepared herself for war. She prepared herself to capture his gates with a spirit of seduction. Verse 31. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, "Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master?" So what's going on here is, she has put makeup on, and she's looking out of the window, right? But Jehu is not engaging with her seduction. So she projects lust. And he bars it. He kind of just blocks it off. Listen, the enemy is going to keep projecting perversion to you. You're going to have to decide to not give it any foothold. Jezebel was releasing lust. She wanted to capture his eyes. However, he was... Pushing against that influence. So this is crazy because as soon as she realized she wasn't going to be successful at his eye gate, she went for the next gate. What? His ear gate. And so she said, is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? Why did she say that? Because the person she's referring to, Zimri, murderer of your master, is a guy who has the record for the shortest reigning king in the, the history of the nation. He was king for seven days. And guess how he died? He burns the palace on himself. Suicide. So she could not get through his eye gate with perversion. She was wanting to get through his ear gate with depression. Depression that leads to suicide. So she's saying to him, you know, you, are you like Zimri, the murder of your master? She's projecting these ideologies that if Jehu took hold of, it would have taken root in his heart and would have neutralized his authority to destroy her. So Jehu was not having it. He says, verse, 20, verse 32, and Jehu looked up at the window. He didn't look at Jezebel. He looked at the window and said... Who is on my side? Who? Two or three. And so it says two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses. And he trampled her on the foot. And we all say, yay, Jezebel is dead. (laughs) Now, I love that she's killed. I'm sorry. Just, you know. The Bible says, hey, you know, we need to pray, praise the Lord. I want to hate what you hate. And I want to love with passion what you love. This person, Jezebel, is representing a spirit of perversion in our culture. It's all through the culture. Many of you here are under the operating system. Remember I said, what spirit are you operating by? It's not just something that men struggle with. There are many women under it too. It's not just a woman thing. Oh, yeah, she's a... And we're quick to label people Jezebels. It's not quite... I think there's there's a dimension of reality in that. But what I'm sensing from the Lord for this generation is not just about labeling people that. It's about people that either consciously or unconsciously have come under the influence, the government, of this spirit of Jezebel in our culture and are being influenced, their desires, how they feel, how they think about their identity, who they are. It's been influenced by this spirit and they're not even aware of it so here Jezebel could not get through the eye gate she couldn't get through the ear gate then it was now Jehu's turn to strike back Jehu was carrying the spirit of intensity that Elijah-like spirit Matthew 11 it was ferocious It was carrying the fire of God and so he looked up out the window and it looked at the eunuchs are you with me we're landing now are you with me are you sure this is really important for you to understand he looked up out the window and he saw the eunuchs now who are the eunuchs the eunuchs are people who whose sexual organs have been cut off so their purpose is to serve Jezebel to guard her to make her comfortable to whatever she wants they serve her agenda So what qualifies them to serve her agenda is that she had oppressed them in their sexual identity. Are you hearing me? The eunuchs were oppressed by Jezebel in their sexuality. Her wounding was a pathway to her binding of them. She had to first wound them and their sexual identity to bind them to her agenda. Are you tracking with me? Do you see the relevance for some of you here today? Where the enemy has wounded you in your sexuality. Some of you were abused. Some of you came across images. Some of you don't even know where things came from, but you're just finding these weird emotions and desires, and you can't make sense of it. The danger is to take ownership of it and now identify with it and call yourself it. So the enemy brings the wound in for the purpose of binding. So now these eunuchs, their whole identity is wrapped around their sexuality. And all they're doing is serving Jezebel's agenda. So for all their years, forever long they've been doing this, they were under Jezebel's control. But all of a sudden, Jehu shows up, and all he did was look at them. Isn't it crazy that Jesus says in, oh my goodness, Jesus says in Revelations that his eyes burn with fire, his eyes. So when Jesus, to, when Jesus was talking to the church that was captured by Jezebel, he gave a revelation of his fiery eyes. When Jehu was going to deliver the eunuchs, all he did was for them to engage his fiery eyes so jehu is carrying fire he didn't touch the eunuchs he just looked at them and said who's on my side when he looked at them see jezebel was trying to possess his gates but that backfired because now jehu by the holy spirit was possessing the gates of the eunuchs through the fire in his eyes he broke the hold of jezebel's control through the words of his mouth he empowered them To in one instant switch from serving her to throwing her down. That is spiritual. That is spiritual. How could their minds have shifted in one instant? Because what was holding them was demonic. And it was fire that brought their deliverance. Now, this is where we wrap up. The eunuchs, to me, are a picture of this generation. Oppressing our sexuality, sexual identity, perversions, just rife, just so much in the culture, raging like never before. But what encourages me so much about this story is that the people, listen, the people that have been most oppressed in their sexual identity we're actually the ones that were anointed to, de- to destroy Jezebel. So you're like, oh, well, I'm struggling with pornography. Oh, yeah, I'm struggling with, you know, all these weird emotions. I don't know what to do with it. And so you are trying to just identify yourself with that struggle without realizing what the enemy meant for evil. God is actually setting you up. To be a voice of deliverance to a generation. Because the eunuchs were now empowered to destroy the one that had oppressed them their whole life. And Jezebel was not just oppressing them. Her influence was over the whole nation. It wasn't Jehu that destroyed Jezebel. It wasn't Elijah that destroyed Jezebel. It wasn't Elisha that destroyed Jezebel. It was the eunuchs that destroyed Jezebel. So, many of you in this room can identify with the whole idea of being a eunuch. Like, oh, I, I feel that oppression. You see, one of the problems we have in the church is the shame stops you from coming and saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling." One of the things I love about even the way Jezebel is destroyed is it says two or three. Read all the other translations. It always says two or three. And that reminds me of what Jesus said. Where two or three are gathered in my name. So that denotes the idea that to destroy Jezebel, it's a collective effort of coming together, confessing our sins one to another, and are you with me? Coming into the light so that we destroy his influence. Because sin has its power oftentimes in its secrecy. And God wants you to come into the light. So do you want to stand those? In fact, everyone just stand with me. Can I have the band up as well? Those of you in front, I'd love you to just... By the way, try not to get into conversations right now. Listen, this is, this is critical. Just be quiet. Don't get into conversations. The reason is you can, you can miss what the Spirit is trying to settle on you by stepping into something that will just distract you from His emphasis right now. Try not to get into conversations. I know there are many of you in this room that this word is for now. It's sad that the church oftentimes is a place where we're scared to admit that we're struggling. It's like going to the hospital. Wouldn't it be sad if you went to the hospital and the doctor is making fun of, fun of you for being sick? The doctor is there to help, not to shame you for being sick. Well, why do we do that in church? If you're struggling, guess where we sh- you should come? Sure, the people of God, because this is where we come into the light. This is where we confess our sins one to another this is where the lord releases deliverance and it destroys the yoke so if you're here in front i'd love you to take a few steps back because i'm going to give you the opportunity and i know some of you are pastors in this room please i know this may be embarrassing you might find it hard and i'm not going to put pressure on you to to respond but i know There are pastors here. There are some leaders here who are just under the yoke of depression. By the way, what I'm giving an altar call for right now is not just sexual perversion. I'm also calling you here if you know you've been under the weight of depression, anxiety, and your dreams have been perversion. You know, you've been attacked by perversion, sexual perversion consistently. You feel like you can't shake it off. I'm calling to the altar. If it's depression and anxiety, I'm calling you as well. Leaders, come as well. Remember, two or three. There is power to break and destroy the yoke of darkness. Just bring it down. Just come. We're gonna we're gonna go somewhere in a few moments. You answering this altar call is not magical, in that it's not like you come up here and that's the end. It, when you come up here, you're coming into agreement with who God says you are, and you're making a public declaration to the powers of darkness, the demons that have been binding and influencing. You're saying, look. I am coming here declaring that you are not gonna have authority over my mind over my emotions anymore this morning this day I'm throwing you down Jezebel your influence over my family your influence over my mind your influence over my emotions your influence over my desires today I'm coming into the light and declaring your influence broken destroyed in the name of Jesus I want you to come forward right now just begin to call out to him now listen before we begin to pray we're gonna go into prayer and when I say prayer we're gonna go into ugly prayer like we're gonna cry out to God because some of you See my my wife. I've been in the labor room where my wife is giving birth for our three kids. None of it has been pretty, none. And by the way, you guys do epidurals here. We do that in the UK as well. But for some reason, the epidurals didn't work, so it was all raw. <laughs> Any woman in the room that's had children can say amen. Know <laughs> what I'm talking about? It was like when she was giving birth to that baby. Like, like she didn't care who was in the room. She did, it was screaming, it was ugly, it was now there's only there was only a handful of people there, myself and you know the doctors. But in that moment, it wasn't the time to be nice. Any woman who has had children know what I'm talking about now. It's not a moment to be nice when you're in desperation to give birth to the purpose of God, when you're in desperation for something to shift. You need to forget about who's around you. You need to forget about who's there. And you need to get into your most raw state before God. And that's why I want us to hear what I'm saying before we pray. Because we're going to cry out to God. It's not just hands being laid on you that's going to bring freedom. It's actually your heart connecting with your Savior. Connecting with the fire in his eyes. So the band are going to play. And we are all gonna pray. If you don't know what to pray, you might wanna just lift up your cry to heaven. And just cry out to Jesus. And just say, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. I call out to you today. Let every yoke of oppression be broken. I call out to you today. It's my day of deliverance, I cry out, I will not be silent, I will not be pretty about this, I cry out to you Lord, enough is enough, let this be the moment of turnaround, let this be the moment of deliverance. Oh Jesus I come under your government today We hope you enjoyed this Prestorm podcast. For more content, find us on Instagram at Prestorm. or one word and on YouTube, Prestorm TV.